Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Freecast. My name is Brian, and with me, as always, are my friends, Zach and Vince. And we are here to talk about the comics coming out on May... What did these comics come out? May 16th? No way uh, of knowing. No yes, way. <laughs> May 16th, 2023. Uh, man, we need to get better about knowing when we're actually recording these uh, shows. But... Why? <laughs> good point. Good, good point. Why? Before, before we get into that, though, we're going to talk about a couple of things that are coming out... Uh, in a few months that were announced this past week, and that is a trio of new Golden Age miniseries. Uh, Alan Scott, The Green Lantern, by Tim Sheridan and Sian Tormi. Jay Garrick, The Flash, by Jeremy Adams and Diego uh, Olatuege. I always forgot that guy's name. And Wesley Dodds, The Sandman, by Robert Venditti and Riley Rossmo. Now, I, I, I have a bit of a rant here. Should I start with that, or should I let you guys talk about this first before I go off Okay, the Dennis Miller. That's you you always line. say that. When I, I know, yeah. I know, I know. Um, but should I go off first? Do you guys want to yeah, talk about go off. first? Okay. So here's my concern. My concern with this is that there are two areas of the DC universe that I am enjoying, but are undeniably siloed from the rest of DC right now. And that is the world's finest books that Mark Wade is doing, World's Finest Batman Superman, World's Finest Teen Titans, and now there's this new Tales of the Teen Titans series of one sh- four one-shots that focus on Raven, Beast Boy, Donna Troy, and Starfire, I believe. Um, and then there's the new Golden Age stuff, which is JSA, Stargirl, The Lost Children, which I believe just ended, was just about to end, uh, and then these three books. And my, my fear with this, and the thing that I am... Uh, I don't want to say uncomfortable. That may, it makes it sound like I have a moral opposition to this, and I don't. I I just feel like DC bringing back Mark Wade and bringing back the Golden Age characters are two things that I have been asking for forever. But I kind of don't want them to just be these siloed worlds. I understand there's a point that says, like, why are you crazy? Let them silo them protect Mark Wade and the Golden Age stuff like from the rot of of the other DC stuff. But to me, all of that stuff, all of the Golden Age stuff works best when they are a counterweight to youth and to whatever else. And Mark Wade is one of my favorite comic writers of all time. I want him doing stuff that is a little bit more tied in. And I know his Shazam stuff is a little bit more tied in. But does that make sense? Like, do you guys agree that this is a little bit uh, too siloed, or do you not care? I I personally kind of like that it's siloed. I I like that it's off in its own little corner. I kind of I don't get me wrong. I I like the concept of like the DCU as a whole, and I like when all of this stuff connects. And I do think that, like, just because this stuff feels kind of siloed, we can obviously see these characters in other books, although we haven't really that much yet. Um, I guess Jay and the Jay has been in the Flash, um, but I don't love the direction of the main DCU right now, which we're probably going to get into some tonight. Oh um, yes, and so I'm yep. I'm perfectly fine that this feels siloed, and I actually really like this is all under the new Golden Age banner. I saw this announcement and I was actually kind of excited to start pulling these books. And even even though I'm probably never going to get back into binding again, like just the idea of like having this collection of all the new golden age stuff that all seems genuinely interesting and has really cool creative teams on it. I'm, I'm really here for it. Vince. Yeah. I think I'm closer to what Zach said than, than you like, I think in my ideal world, it's not siloed, but I will happily take a good book any way that it comes, I guess. And sure. And I think I think I agree with Zach when it's like, well, if the if the overall narrative of the DCU is not doing it that much for me, then, you know, at least we're getting these this little thing I can focus on this little toy for me in the corner. Um, I, I'm not upset about it. I definitely understand that. I guess my bigger concern doesn't necessarily come from what's happening right now. It's more what might happen down the road. Like, I don't want... I I think that you're both right in that the current direction of the DC Universe in some ways is, is not at all what I want 
from my comics. But I will also say that there is... There's a fear that if you just... That if you don't start using these characters in a meaningful way, they're just going to wind up being ignored again. Like once once these these particular stories wrap up, if they are not being integrated into the DC universe again, then basically all you're left with is you're waiting for another creator to come along and silo them again. Right. And this is sort of what happened for a while with characters like Constantine, where you only really saw that character, I guess, like right after the um, Justice League Dark, the first series kind of wrapped up. It seemed like you were only really seeing Constantine when somebody specifically wanted to reference like a Justice League Dark type thing, and you were not seeing him show up in a Superman title or a whatever title. And, and maybe that doesn't matter to some people, but again, I like it when all this stuff interacts. So I'm just afraid that if you don't bust them out of the silo now, they're going to wind up being siloed just in perpetuity. I mean, this, yeah. th- these silos or these kind of like imprints that we're sort of talking about with like the new golden age and, and whatever it is, Wade is doing, they, they do kind of smack of like, um, Oh, what was it called? What was the Bendis one? Um, Wonder Comics? Yeah. It it feels similarly because it's very like creator driven. You know, you have like the Wade stuff and then New Age of uh, New Golden Age is very much like John's baby plus like people that he is has worked with like um, Sheridan and Adam. So no, was it Sheridan that was on? Flashpoint and Adams are both on Flashpoint. Yeah, they both. I couldn't remember. I knew Adams was. I couldn't remember if Sheridan was the other one. Yeah. So like people that he's worked closely with, and um, yeah, there's definitely the potential that like want you know if things sour with either creator that all of this stuff could fall to the wayside and not really be referenced again. Like uh, you know what happened with Wonder Comics, but at the same time, like Wonder Comics was a really fun initiative, and they those books were really fun to read, and I'm glad it happened. So that's mostly how I feel about this. And I just, I like that. I don't have to keep up with anything else. Like I can just read. That's what's so, that's what I like so much about the X books still for the most part, you know, is like, I I can pick up a handful of books that are all really tightly, uh, you know, interlaced with each other and not have to worry about anything else that's going on in the Marvel universe right now. So kind of in some ways it's like my ideal way of publishing (laughs) like cape comics so i think that makes a lot of sense as somebody who usually admittedly is not as interested in the meta narrative yeah well yeah at least i mean i do i i like that this has its own meta narrative you know what i mean i like like a meta narrative that i can engage with that doesn't require me to read a lot of stuff that i don't want to engage with sure um sure yeah um anything else to say about these books before we move on to the actual books we're talking about tonight i think rosmo on on sandman is incredible so i think all of these are actually going to look like fantastic yeah i think so too um yeah there there's there's just no way to know what's going on at DC right now. Sure. So, you know, it, it's hard to know how excited to get about any of this, but um but yeah, let's let's be uh let's be hopeful for this. So all right. Uh moving on to some comics. Let's talk about Batman the Brave and the Bold number one. This is a hilariously titled book because it is a straight up DC anthology that has one Batman story. I guess it has two Batman stories. But it's it is labeled as a Batman book and uh, not so much. But yeah, well, what Brave and the Bold is like traditionally a team up book. And so if you think like an actual Batman comic is teaming up with several comics that do not have Batman in them, then yes. Yeah. When I saw the title page, I thought maybe, oh, Batman's going to be teaming up with these different entities in here. And no, no, it's not the way it is. But Uh, so there, there are four stories in this. We're going to talk about all four of them. 
Uh, the the I would say the marquee one is the Batman story called Batman: The Winning Card. This is part one of I don't know how many written by Tom. I actually, King. I looked at the solicit. I think it's four. Okay. Or thank no, you. six. Sorry, it's four okay. or six. <laughs> well, thank you for doing the work. Uh, I, yeah. Kind of. Now I'm now I'm leaning towards four. Now that I said okay. it, I think I think it is a four parter. Yeah, written by Tom King, illustrated by Mitch Garrods. And uh, look, <laughs> listeners of this show are not going to be surprised by our Tom King opinions many times. But I would say that in some ways, this is sort of Tom King doing what Tom King does best. Oh, hear, like, hear me out. Go, I'm, I'll hear you out. I'll hear you because out. it doesn't matter. It this doesn't is, matter. This is a year one story that do, isn't going to matter at all in the future. He can't fuck up continuity by doing this. Oh, and that. <laughs> well, so he could. He. I don't know. Con- well, number one, continuity like doesn't matter anymore. At least in terms of like sure. this yes. kind of past stuff. Yes. Yes. Um, I have a take on this, but I want you to finish. I was gonna say like this is to me this is this is King solely in King's wheelhouse. And if you like what King does, you're gonna like this. If you don't like what King does, you're probably not gonna like this. But I would I, I've said this before. Keep keep we keep using the word silo tonight. Keep giving King his little stuff to do that doesn't impact the major uh, storylines, and I am able to put up with this in part because I really like the Mitch Garrett's art here, and I thought that some of his Joker stuff actually worked in this book, some of it. And usually King's Joker is my least favorite thing King does. Uh, Zach, you said you wanted to say something, so go ahead. Well, so... As I was reading this, I was like, this seems extremely familiar. And it's because after I like it's it's based on Batman number one, it's Batman number one. But I've never read Batman number one. I know this story from the Ed Brubaker. Batman, the man who laughs one shot, which Mm. was doing this exact same thing, but Mm. it was like a reimagining. So and and I know it is reimagining Batman number one, but to me it's reimagining Batman the man who laughs. So it's like a reimagining of a reimagining. <laughs> and so it just feels extremely derivative in that way. It me. is. It is derivative. It's derivative of Batman number one. I I don't remember if I've ever read the book you're talking about. I'm sure I have, or at least paged through it. Um but again, like with King, it's all about triage for me. And the, the, this this feels like the safest way to let King do a Batman story in twenty twenty three. I, and as far as like Kingisms, and I guess what you're saying, I did really like the bit of having like the Joker's speech just be like a silent movie <laughs> placard, essentially. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a good bit that went yeah. on until yeah. you act until until that scene with the little girl and and the Joker on the bench. Which was like a genuinely like pretty chilling piece by, uh, by Garrods, yeah. Um, and so, uh, but uh, and in terms of like King dialogue, this was on the edge of the spectrum of like too too flowery and too overwrought for me. Oh, dude the the the, the villain on the train tracks, whose every other word was censored. Yes, some editor needs to step in and say, like, dude, I I know what you think you're doing here, but stop. <laughs> it's no one talks like even the most foul mouthed person doesn't talk like that, and so you know that he's doing it purely as a stylistic flourish, and it fucking sucks. <laughs> Pardon my French, um, <laughs> but it's. I mean, even if you fill it in with words uh, that you can imagine are there, it's insufferable to read. Um, good God, s- someone needs to stop this man from doing shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> but you're right. I, I, I like I'll, I'll talk about a couple of the things that I liked. I liked the Joker uh, placards that you were talking about. That part was great. This was a creepy Joker. Um, it was also a Joker that looked very good. And uh, and also I liked the bit with with the little girl interacting with the Joker. In a way that like. 
I I, I think I like when when kids in media kind of cut through the the bullshit, right? Like they're often used as um they're often used as like uh, thematic characters that see through whatever the facade is or whatever the bullshit of the story is. And so like, I can imagine a kid not being as scared of the Joker as somebody else would, or somebody who's <laughs> familiar with the Joker or familiar with what a, the, the trope of a like creepy, violent clown would be, you know, right. she just cuts right through it and kind of speaks very matter of factly to the Joker. And I thought that stuff was pretty well done. Um, have I have either of you ever seen the 1932 Frankenstein, the famous Bars Carlisle Frankenstein film? No. Mm-mm. There is a very famous scene. Bride of, and that's it. Okay. There's a very famous scene where a, a kid is playing by the water and the monster approaches, and the kid is not afraid, and the monster is like just, you know, plays with this kid and then accidentally kills the kid. And it's it's sort of the emotional crux of the movie, and it's it's a it's a fantastically disturbing and very very well done scene. Um, the reason I bring that up is that in that scene, there's this like underlying thing of the monster is going to do like monster is going to monster, right? It's just you you can you can delay it for so long, but at a certain point, the monster is just going to become a problem, and that's kind of. Although King is not like in that in Frankenstein, the monster's intention is never to hurt, but it's built for that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is not the same as that because the Joker is absolutely intending to hurt. But I did sort of get that like force of nature feel from it. And I don't know if that was intentional on King's part at all. But if it is, I sort of like that that read as well. Yeah. Yeah, I th- and I think I think it was. I think it was a along the same lines of that trope. Mhm. So what did you said you were talking about some things you liked then you were going to it seemed like you were going to go off and Oh, no, no, no. This. The stuff I didn't like, we kind of already covered and it's the classic Tom King thing. I don't want to whine about it anymore than I already have. Um I just think I think the dialogue with that that criminal on the train tracks was uh, terrible. And then the rest of it was just, it really was just a retelling of the first part of Batman number one. Um, with the, with the guy Gordon sitting on watch to make sure that this guy doesn't get assassinated. And then he dies from within the room. And, um, you know, I've read that before and this doesn't really do anything new with that story. So I guess, it remains to be seen like what the purpose of revisiting that is. I don't know that I'm, I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to stick around to find out why. <laughs> I, I think that's a fair, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Um, uh, there was something you said that I wanted to piggyback off of. Um, I don't know. Zach, anything else want to add to this? Mm-mm. Okay. Let's move on to the second story in the book, which is Stormwatch down with the Kings by Ed Brisson and Jeff Spokes. Uh, so the new Stormwatch team is they're led by Director Bones, Flint, Peacekeeper 1, Ravager, Shadow, Phantom 1, Winter, Dr. Zima, and uh, Core. It is hilarious to me that there are two dumb shit Batman characters that both have one in their names on this team, uh, Phantom 1 and Peacekeeper 1. Just real bad, real bad stuff. Um, Look, this is not for me. <laughs> uh, we have established how I think all of us are maybe down on what Ed Brisson is doing in the Bat books right now. I don't know if either of you had your thoughts on on that swayed by this at all. Well, to, about that. Uh, but to me, this is this is like precisely what I don't want from a Stormwatch book because I feel like this takes away all the stuff that made so much interesting. The fact that in the beginning of this book, they're like, we're not worried about aliens anymore. Like, then you're not fucking Stormwatch. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know why you're doing this book, but go off, Zach. I do. I do agree with you on that point. But against all odds, I like this. Um, And I will say that a lot of that probably came down to the art. I didn't know who this was at first because 
I think our review copy doesn't have the credits for both this story and the second one or the third one. I mean, it is all uh, on the title page in the second uh, second page of the book. It is yeah, there. It's okay. Jeff's Jeff's. Folks. Is, yeah, I looked it up after, but when I was reading it, I could have swore it was Ryan Sook. Yeah, or you know who I was thinking. Um... Oh god damn. I just lost the name, but the 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 Grant Morrison Wonder Woman uh, artist. Fuck. Um, Yannick, Paquette? Yannick Paquette. Yannick Paquette. Oh, yeah, I, I love very, Yannick. Sorry, Yannick. Yeah. Yeah, it is very I'm sure he's yeah, listening. Paquette. Yeah, he is. He's an avid. He's one of the Patreons. Oh, is he? Okay. He sends but us his five bucks every month. Thanks, the Wiper. Art, the art is really good, I think. Um, this this Jeff Spokes guy can draw. Um but yeah, even even the team, I kind of liked how they interacted with each other. I I liked the new characters. I really liked how Ravager was kind of used in this. Um, Phantom One, just like uh, Ghost Ghost Maker, Ghost Hunt, Ghost Ghost Maker, Ghost Maker. Yeah, um, really dumb guy in a cool costume, um, <laughs> basically. And I, I, there's no reason I should have, I should have liked this, but I, I thought, I, I thought the dialogue was snappy. The art was incredible. Even though it's not like it's Stormwatch in name only, it did kind of remind me in some ways, both like visually and tonally of like the Ellis Stormwatch and even authority in, in some ways, um, so yeah, I I actually really kind of liked this a lot. Vince, uh, I I liked the art a lot, and I guess I guess it was inoffensive enough because it was basically just an introduction to this team. So you got to see a lot of fun looking characters drawn very well, and um, uh, once again, I could not care less about what's going on with the story or. Um, are we happy that Zoidberg's on the team? Yeah. Yes. Yep. That was oh, my first I joke. Wa- I my second joke ask... is sorry. I, I oh, ordered okay. a Zima, not Doctor Zima. Uh, I'm done now. Go ahead. I I wanted to ask you guys. I'm pretty sure we've seen these these singularity or black hole characters before, and I'm pretty sure it was in the Flash, but I can't remember if it was the Adams run or the Williamson run. Uh, I would think it's the Williamson run. I think you're right. Um, I meant to look at, see if I could find the wiki. Oh yeah, here it is. Um, Black Hole is a terrorist organization that first appeared in, uh, yeah, they, they first appeared in the, like the starting arc of the, the Williamson run. Interesting. Yeah, I I um I knew they looked familiar. I could not have pulled where they were from, so thank you for doing that work for me. Yeah, and that Dr. Husk character was from that run as well. He first appeared in Flash number 20. Okay. Volume 5 number 20. Yeah, so I don't... it makes sense that something from the Williamson verse gets pulled into this because this is very much a product of the Williamson led DCU initiative. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um you know to your point, Zach, I, I guess I'm part of this is that I am not as well read slash as big of a fan of the Wildstorm era version of these characters that that you are. Mm-hmm. And so I am not going to be as uh, swayed by allusions to those characters as you are because you you really enjoy those characters quite a bit and uh but to me this just feels like I can't imagine a reason why they would do a stormwatch book that is so clearly not about stormwatch um just in terms of you know the overall like you know um just the the, the tenor of the team being so different here it's a it's a swino. It is a swino, yes. Uh but I did think that the art was was very good. And I thought that some of the ideas, like that character of core 
who is like being used to uh to both power Skywatch and also being sold for profit. Like that's a that's a clever idea. And I think that there's enough there's enough here conceptually that if this was a story that wasn't just as I think it was, I forget what you said it, just like an introduction to these characters and therefore relatively inoffensive because there wasn't that much meat on the bone. I guess that's true. But like Peacekeeper One and Phantom One and Shadow are characters I can never really care about. So uh, there needs to be a, a better hook for me than that. Um, but yeah, this was not terrible. Remind me, is this still going to be an ongoing? Like, is there a Stormwatch book coming? Do we know I that don't know. yet? I don't I, know. I'm the guy who should know because I write about the solicits every month. Right. Let me look some. I honestly can't remember. I know that, like, I remember the original Bleeding Pool article that leaked this and made it sound like it was going to be like an ongoing thing. But I think that was just in reference to the story from the the Wildstorm anniversary issue. Yes. Um, yes. And so I don't know that we've ever gotten confirmation that this is going to be an ongoing book or if it was always just kind of meant to be like th something like this, you know. So the, the, the only thing that I am sure about right now is that we are getting a that um, we are getting a, the Ravager Night Terrors series deals with this team. Okay, is that written by Brisson as well? It is with Dexter okay. Soy art. I, I do like oh, Dexter Soy. We can Dexter Soy over that, but, but we're exactly. not going to read it. Oh, we may read that one. I don't know. We'll oh, see. Oh, okay. Who's we? We haven't fully determined exactly <laughs> what we're doing here yet. Um, for that. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I would think that this is something that you're not gonna you're gonna see in books like this for a while, mm -hmm. without it being an ongoing. Um, I would much rather this be an ongoing than Wildcats. Oh, I mean, Wildcats is utter trash. That's why. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I would see. I would think that this would be, um. So we're gonna see. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a wildstorm ish event coming in a year or two, and maybe a book would spin out of that. But I feel like it's gonna be a while before that happens. I don't know. Yeah. Well, next up is Superman: Order of the Black Lamp, written by Christopher Cantwell, illustrated by Javier Rodriguez. And if you folks take anything from this week's episode. It should be that you need to go out and get this book because you need to look at Javier Rodriguez's art for the Superman story. It's because so good. this is my favorite thing I saw all week. Yeah, and it's a good story too. It it's... is a good story. I, mm -hmm. I do not mean to shit on Camwell's story. It's it's a good story. I like the sort of how this takes a very golden age idea of like radio serials and decoder rings, but sets it in a modern time where it doesn't seem totally silly. Mm-hmm. And there's mm -hmm. some really good Clark stuff here. And uh it just but it looks I mean the 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 story here is is the art, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I mean Rodriguez is one of the best. I I, th I think someone who is generally underrated just because yes. he he does so little work. Um but and it has has mostly been at Marvel over the last few years. Um but man, on on Superman, it's like a revelation. You know, it's so good. Yeah. And uh, and I like Cantwell as well. Of you know, of what I've read of of his work, he he did a an Iron Man run at Marvel recently that kind of kind of got some buzz. And I think I maybe read the first. 10 or so issues of before I fell off, but it, it was interesting. It was very quirky. Um, the art was not great though. That was the thing that hurt it for me. Um, but yeah, this was really good. I think this was probably the best story in the issue. I feel like that's like, Oh yeah. Safe to say. Yeah. Oh yeah. Easily. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I like that it's it's something you don't see very often with Superman, which is it it's really more of a story about a mystery for the Clark Kent reporter side of him to solve. Yep. Um, of course, you get some good Superman scenes in it, but but if the if the premise is mostly about uh, Clark doing some like gumshoe reporting, that I'm hey, I'm here for it. I also really like the idea that you know one of the one of the problems that idiots will talk about with Superman is that he's too perfect and you can't tell interesting stories, which is which is wrong, right? But I will say there is a there's some truth to the idea that it can be hard sometimes to come up with conflict in the Clark Kent side of Superman because so many of the problems that like a regular dude would face doesn't make doesn't really affect superman right but this with like I, I love the fact that lois is basically like you're a bad writer when you're writing about superman uh-huh. and that's actually a really good character beat for clark and gives gives the reporter side of him something to struggle with and I think that was really good yeah yeah i agree i i also really like how as I think one of you one of you said that this kind of has like a, a golden age or almost kind of like a timeless feel about it, but it's also yeah. set firmly in continuity, which is really cool and interesting. Um, so I, I liked that about it as well. Yeah. Uh, this is, I mean, what what's great about an anthology book like this is that I don't know if there is necessarily a market for this as anything more than what it is because it's a relatively niche Superman story. And, you know, as much as we love Superman, Superman miniseries don't always sell all that well. And so I love that this book exists to give us a story like this, right? Like I, I, I am very excited to check out this story month in and month out. And eventually maybe, maybe we'll see Rodriguez take on a Superman book, uh, you know, on a longer term basis. But I think for right now, this is, this is the perfect use for this book and these talents, and I can't wait to see chapter two next month. Anything I'm, else about this? Oh, sorry, go no, ahead, Zach. I was just gonna say I really like DC anthologies. I think I I wish they did more of them, and I wish they weren't all Batman centric. Even though I know this one has a Superman story in it, and Stormwatch Storm story, <laughs> yeah, it's not really Batman centric, but it is. Uh, um, it has is. a Batman character in it. Um, it has multiple Batman characters in it. Yeah, you're right. So. Um, I, I just really like the quality. Like, I mean, Batman Urban Legends was surprisingly good most of the time. Um, yeah. so I, I really wish they would do more of this kind of content. Yeah, I agree. I also think that it's very funny that this is, this is just Urban Legends under a new name, right? It is. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like a more high profile name as well. Like, you know. Yes. Both in like the title and I think no offense to anyone who worked on Batman Urban Legends, but I think also kind of in terms of like name recognition as well, it's feels I mean, a be, bit more prestigious. To be fair, we'll see what happens in month three. For right? sure. Yeah. In terms of the names and all that. But yeah. 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 Well, last up in this anthology is um, a story called Heroes of Tomorrow written and illustrated by Dan Mora. And it's basically a futuristic Batman story that obviously takes place outside of continuity. Um, My son, Ben, who is seven, was sitting on the couch with me as I was reading this. And he said, like, that Batman looks so cool. And I was like, that's Dan Mora, Ben. He can do no wrong visually. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, you know, I think for what this is, it's fine. But this isn't really my favorite uh, genre of of bat story what did you boys think of this vince you go first uh, it it looked great there wasn't much to the story i uh i guess i liked uh batman's uh kind of evolving anime bat suits but I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about this one. It it, it felt shorter than the other ones. Um, it was shorter. It was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was quite a bit, I think. 
Yeah, wow. I mean, it's a visual feast, and I like I like when DC allows these black and white ones to, you know, it it, it feels this is so cliche, but it it feels more like a entry in a in a shonen manga or something than than sure. the typical DC fair, and the black and white fits with that, and and Mora's art is, you know, it's not that, but it's adjacent to that, and. Uh, so it was really nice to look at, but, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it, much else I have to say about it. Yeah. It looked really cool. It kind of felt like a weird offshoot of future state. Yes. I actually, I actually wasn't sure if it was a future state story for the first five pages yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It, this is apparently like the first of a, a series of black and white Batman one shots, one offs that, that more is going to be doing in this, which is kind of cool. Um, but, but yeah, like uh, other than the art, there's not really a lot to go off of here. And that, I, I think that's fine for what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I can't really find too much fault with, uh, with a short story like this that has a, has great art and is fun enough. Right. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the dream, I guess, for a story like this. Yeah, honestly, I feel like Ben is like the the like target audience for something like this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I agree. The All idea right, well, that the the well, one 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 more sure, thing. The sure, the yeah. idea that Richard and Jason are looking for their quote unquote brother. Do we think in this they're literally brothers, or or this is like an orphanage situation or something like that, or or we don't? They care. said their parents were killed, so. Yeah. But it sound I I got the impression that they were like literal brothers. Yes, I okay. got the impression their younger brother is Tim. Yeah, same. Well, that's what I would that's what I would guess. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, I I do wonder if the future Mora stories will deal with this at all, or if this is just like this is the only time we're ever going to see this because I either one is actually fine by me. Yeah. So we'll see. All right, well, let's, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about... Uh, what are we talking about again? Uh, Titans, number one. Yeah, so stay tuned. Hello, denizens of Earth-1218. We are the hosts of Make Mine Multiversity, a twice-monthly podcast. I'm Jaina. And I'm Elias. Make Mine Multiversity is your handy guide to all things Marvel. Each month, we get into it with long looks at the careers of Marvel creators, characters, themes, whatever. Sometimes that means we dig into all things X-Men, sometimes we do a book club for Marvel series past and present, and sometimes that means figuring out which series is our heavyweight champion. Coming down by good old Skylaser to your podcatcher of choice every first and third Friday. Excelsior. Excelsior indeed. And we're back to talk about Titans number one, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Nicola Scott. Um, I have a lot to say about this, but Vince, why don't you start us off? Um, well, predictably, I liked it. <laughs> uh, I think Nicholas Scott got to be one of my favorite artists. Um, her stuff always looks good. Um, I like that it's being built up as a, a mystery surrounding Wally that may or may not piss some people off but like it's obviously it's going to be turned around fairly quickly right like that's the way that these things go and so i think it's a it's a fairly playful thing to make wally into am i am i jumping too far ahead by saying no no that's fine that's fine wally's, I mean, it, it, wally's it a opens up with that sort yeah. of yeah right right um and i just think i think that's staged really well i i like that it opens up with that and the the image of him trying to get onto the cosmic treadmill and starting to run and then the drop of blood landing on the treadmill and like streaking on the, mm-hmm. on the platform is it's a really evocative image without being like overly edgy, you know? Um, and then the stuff in between was, was the really like playful, uh, playful interaction between the Titans that, that you want to see and the kind of the, dramatic relationship aspect to it as well with with um Garfield and Raven and I feel like this is a it's another Tom Taylor 
people pleaser, right? Like I don't, other than the Wally thing, which again, like you, if you have half a brain, you know that that's getting turned around like within four or five issues within the arc, probably within the arc. Yeah. Other than that, like, I, I, I don't know what would upset you about this. It's kind of, it's again, it's like comfort food coming from Tom Taylor, I feel. And, and it, it does that job extremely well. Zach. Um, I mean, I'm probably going to be the one coming away the coolest on this. Um, just I'm just guessing I didn't I didn't dislike it as much as maybe I, you know, did the recent issues of Nightwing that we talked about. Um, but some of the reasons I'm a little cooler on it is that I I also usually really like Nicola Scott's art, but something about the art in this issue felt very um, it was mostly the faces. I, I just really think that like Scott's faces are getting a little too realistic if that makes sense like they are modeled after very similar notes yeah modeled after like real faces and it's just it's 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 distracting to me i I really don't like how it looks in in relation to the rest of the art um i i think it i think it looks bad um and so that that really took me out of the book quite a bit um and then the other the other bits is that I, you know, don't have like quite the attachment to some of these characters. So some of the like melodrama was a little too like I, I wouldn't say it goes far as like call it cringy, but it was the 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 scene that like pops into my mind specifically is the part where they're like discussing the living arrangements, the sleeping arrangements, and uh, you know, Gar and and Raven or like Gar's like, oh no, we, we'll have separate rooms. And then like Raven's like, okay, let's go into our separate telepathic room to like hash this out really quickly while we're in front of everyone. And oh. it, it was just like so goofy and kind of like borderline cringy to me, um, just with like how dramatic and overly dramatic it was, uh, almost to the point of feeling juvenile in some ways. Um, but that that was that was like the most egregious part. I really liked the stuff with Wally. I liked the scene with uh, Garth uh, quite a bit. I'm very interested to see what is going on there. Um, and then the only other thing that kind of had me groaning a little bit was the the tagline at the end for the next issue, which we can kind of save towards the end if we want. But like the hint of who the villain is going to be, which is like the most I, I feel like any Titan story I've ever read or seen or heard brings this character in and to see them being brought in at the very beginning just kind of has me groaning a little bit. Yeah, I feel like we just did a brother blood story in the last. Yeah, uh, there's always a brother blood story, guys. Yeah, you, yeah. be aware of that. Yeah, it's um, just yeah, it just feels a little disappointing and unoriginal. Well, so to me, this this feels like Tom Taylor doing the Titans greatest hits. Yeah. And the only hit that is greater than brother blood is Deathstroke. And I feel like <laughs> you can't blow the Deathstroke load in issue one. Right. Right. So that's yeah. why it's brother blood. In, in some ways it is kind of uh, similar to like the Green Lantern number one that we discussed that this is sort of like the, the reset to a very recognizable and nostalgic status quo or, or and feel yes. and tone. So yeah. Yeah. So here, here is, I want to get my Nicola Scott thing out of the way so Vince can be mad at me, and then I want to get my Wally thing out of the way so Vince can also be mad at me, but the Nicola Scott art here is, is generally very good. I just feel like her art over the last year or two has done two things that I'm not as big of a fan of. I noticed this when I was reading her Earth um, Earth 2 stuff for the Patreon project, uc3cast.com or patreon.com slash uc3cast. Uh, which is that now her stuff seems a little bit more cinematically posed to me. Like, especially in big action scenes, I feel like she just has a couple of these, like, very, very staged splash pages or um, moments in them. And then, like Zach said, her faces have just gotten a little bit too realistic for my taste. And she's not doing the thing, like, she's not doing what Dan Mora did in Shazam, which is to make the characters look like some sort of 
Like there's not an is not a Zachary Levi as Shazam thing. Like her peacemaker does not look like John Cena, right? But it's just the faces just look a little bit too. I feel like the realism in the faces don't match the rest of her art, and so that's it's not bad. It's just to me this is not peak Scott. There is a, there there was one face that I almost thought I could peg who it looked like, and it was a it was a Starfire face. And she looked like, um, what is the actress's name? Uh, she was in How I Met Your Mother. She is in the Marvel movies. She Colby plays Smothers? The, yeah, yeah. Colby she looks like yeah. Colby Smothers. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Maybe. Colby sure. Smothers. Yeah. Col- Col- Robin Colby. Sparkles. Robin Sparkles. She looks like Robin Sparkles. Let's go to the mall today. <laughs> Um. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. So he, he, here is my my Wally thing, which is that I don't think that Wally's dead. I'm not ten years old. Um, however, I think that killing Wally has now become like you. This just happens all the time. Like, if it happened with any other character in this, I would care ten times more about the story. Than I do with Wally because Wally is such a false flag operation at this point. <laughs> um, really, all the flashes are kind of um, yeah. If you like yeah. look back over the last 20, 30 years, um, yeah. But like, like, just think about it. since Wally's been back in Heroes in Crisis in in Rebirth, he died in Heroes in Crisis. He just died in the One Minute War, and now he's dying again here. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just too much, you know. That that oh, is it's my just a, it's just a goofy, silly mystery. Yeah, but you know what? People care so much about Wally that I feel like it's becoming this almost feels like Tom Taylor owning the libs. Uh-huh. Just like <laughs> just it's just it's just doing it to to get a rise out of people. Um, <laughs> I guess. It just it's a little bit too much for me. Um but you know, that's fine. do you think this is going to generate some steam on the DC subreddit? Yes, I do. I do uh, foolishly, but yes, I do. Yeah. There, there will definitely be a clickbaity CBR article. Oh yeah, absolutely. The day this comes out, yeah. Well, there, there was a rumor, and not rumor. I want to say Bleeding Cool had said that like Wally actually dies in One Minute War, um, which obviously did not happen. But I wonder if this, the Bleeding Cool article is going to be, no, while he's actually dead here, we just had the book wrong. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, that, I'm going to guess that article comes out from Uncle Rich this time next week. Uh, we'll, <laughs> see if, we'll see if that comes true or not. Um, but I don't think DC is dumb enough to actually kill Wally West. I don't. Again? Again, yeah. At least not for another, like, 10 years or so. Uh, five, but we'll see. Sure. <laughs> Uh, so some of the stuff that I I I did very much like in this, I I think it was uh, I think I forget was it Vince or Zach that pointed out the Garth scene. Um, okay, I really enjoyed the mystery there. Like Garth says, he's working with somebody who's actually going to make a change. My prediction is that's Deathstroke. Actually, that that's going to be the the big twist, like 10, 12 issues down the road, is that Garth is working with Deathstroke. Oh man. Which is which is not interesting. Um but isn't Deathstroke like I'm trying to we saw Deathstroke at the end of Dark Crisis, right? Didn't he get yes. like he was in a he was in he was captured by somebody, but then didn't somebody let him out or Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh Terra? Oh, was it Tara? Didn't Tara? No, didn't Tara like, or did Tara come and k- kill him? Kill basically. him, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think we were supposed to be supposed to presume death, but you know, uh-huh. it's comics. Right. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So, um, but I, I, I do think that it's going to be Deathstroke, or 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 maybe it's Tara, or maybe it's it's gonna it's gonna be a classic Titans like nemesis that's going to be who Garth's working with. And sure. that's not as interesting to me as if it was something. You don't think it's going to be Waller? Oh, God, I hope not. It's going to be that Peacemaker. Not? I hope it's going to be Donald Trump. 
<laughs> I think it'll it'll be a little something like this. Let's see him weasel his way out of this one, guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I like that. I actually liked the 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 Garth uh, the Garfield uh, Raven stuff. I know Zach wasn't as as big on that as as I was, but I really enjoyed that uh, that bit. Uh, I, yeah, I just I thought think... it was sweet. I, I yeah, I think I'm just pretty down on like anything beast boy related like post art crisis and how how dumb i thought that whole thing was and i don't know you just don't believe in love i get it yeah that's yeah that's it yeah that's probably it um but yeah the uh i i liked what what i liked about that part in particular is i feel like for so many years the only raven story that could be told is about her like struggling with her demon father that's like every single raven story so the fact that she's doing something different with this is is welcomed and appreciated uh similarly this was maybe the least obnoxious gar we've had in a while which is uh good yeah it's good um this reminds me that we never talked about Grant Morrison cameoing in the Titans TV show. That's true. <laughs> did you actually watch the scene, Zach? Uh-huh, yeah. Of course you did. Tell us about it. <laughs> it's like Gar is like flying through the multiverse and he's seeing scenes from like various like DC properties, like pretty much everything. Even like, there's like clips from like the Shazam movies, like old superman like pretty much everything you can think of and then there's like a scene where it just like pops in and like grants in their library just just chilling and he they see gar and and say something like i can see you can you see me or something like that it's it's like super cheesy but also incredible that it happened (laughs) yeah um so so uh overall I, i i did really like this i like that at least for a few months, the Titans really are like the preeminent DC team. It's not mm-hmm. going to last much more than a few months, but I'm I'm going to enjoy it while it's there. Yeah. How how long do you think this book goes before we get a Justice League book? Uh, so I believe somebody messed with one of the Dawn of DC images. Like, the, you know, there's that, that big timeline they keep revealing more and more of. Mm-hmm. And I want to say like the end of this year or the beginning of next year, they think there's a thing called the Return of the Justice League. So that, there you go. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I of of course I wish it were longer, not just because I'm a Titans freak, but also because just in general, I think these things should last longer than they than they do. It'd be nice if we at least got a year, if this book got like 12 issues. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. would be nice. Um but yeah. Anything else to say about this? No. Nah. Um we're going to quickly talk about two other books. We're going to talk about Cyborg, number one, which is written by Morgan Hampton, illustrated by Tom Rainey. Uh, Vinci, I want you to start with this one. I, despite it, despite myself, I liked this one. I don't know that I'm going to return to it or, or see where it goes from here because I'm not like blown away by the story. But I think like. I think Morgan Hampton's writing is pretty good. Like, I I think. One problem I've had with Cyborg is that they always seem to be written by an older writer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's somebody who's written the character years ago and so they have license to write them going forward or, or writers <laughs> that just... Is that a Marv Wolfman reference? Maybe, or, uh, maybe. Okay. Or, or writers that just um, are a little bit older and try to write younger and it doesn't really work. Whereas I feel like... I feel like all of that stuff works really well here. So I think I think the writing is strong. I think the idea of Vic coming back and being like the local hometown sports hero, et cetera, that's a that's a good fit for a solo cyborg book. Um I think it's interesting to have this issue kind of formed around the death of his father, which is semi undone at the end kind of uh because he appears as a robot but am i crazy or didn't his father die recently 
I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember I, right I don't either. Remember. I kind of feel like it happened, but I, 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 I there's no way to know. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't I, know where that would have happened necessarily either. I don't. I, I think don't know I might what be. Cyborg's been doing. I might literally be thinking of the Snyder cut. Maybe. Oh, maybe. <laughs> um, he does die in the Snyder cut, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I think like the art, you know, it's Tom Rainey. I'm not a huge Rainey fan. Like I, I don't think it's terrible. I just, I'm not gonna. Uh, it's it's never going to be anything that I'm like clamoring to look at. And the story is just kind of the plot is just kind of like average solo superhero fare. Um, didn't grab me a ton, but I but I think I think technically it's a pretty it's a pretty decent issue. I think it's. It's certainly as good of a cyborg one as we've had in <laughs> as long as I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I really want to add to that, I have a couple of notes here. Um, I got worried about the writing in this book early on because when when Cyborg shows up, some kid's like, that's Victor Stone. He was a sports hero. And like just gives the most blatant expository dialogue of all time. But that's the only part in the issue that really felt like bad writing to me. Uh, a lot of my problem with this is going to be the Tom Rainey art. I am well-documented as not being a Rainey fan in a lot of circumstances, and this is certainly one of those circumstances. And it's not even the typical, like, his characters look lumpy and weird, which is absolutely true. His characters all look lumpy and weird. But, like, there's a scene where he draws a laptop, and it looks like a 1996 laptop. Like, just fucking do a better job with that sort of stuff. Like, I just find his work is incredibly lazy. I gotta and- see this. If you, it, it's on page uh there's a couple of instances but specifically on page uh 12 of our pdf the last panel that looks like like a like a gateway <laughs> laptop that uh appeared in 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 your dad's den or whatever in 1996 um it's just really really bad looking but there's just, there's a lot of stuff like that in this where i feel like rainy just is is i don't know it's just it truly truly not for me this is my least favorite art uh you know i said before that that superman order the black lamp is my favorite thing i saw this week this is by far my least favorite thing i saw this week visually um and you know the stuff with 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 his dad the ending kind of redeems that stuff but we've seen all of this before that's i talked a minute ago about how all the raven stories about her daddy issues and all the cyborg stories about his daddy issues so well that's the problem with that is a DC problem because that that's the problem the with doing the, it's a comics it's a superhero c- comics problem. Yeah. Because that is the problem with doing a, a mini series for Cyborg and then not doing another one for like 4 or 5 years. Because you feel like I, the writer or editorial or whoever feels like okay, we need to take a, a another swing at this. What do we know about Cyborg? We got to make sure we cover all that stuff, right? And so you end up repeating. I mean, it's not just Cyborg. It's any character. It's any character who doesn't get continuous play the way that, like... Duke. Duke. It's it's Duke. Duke. It's the Duke problem. It's, yeah. It's the Duke problem. It's the Raven problem. It's any time you do a... I mean, Hawkman, their, their last run was substantial enough that it did get away from it by the end and it kind of I mean we liked that run a lot right and it kind of recontextualized a lot of the it sorted through a lot of the Hawkman stuff again in a way that yep. was really satisfying yep. but when you do these little minis when they're these stories that like are not very substantial and not ongoing you end up repeating yourself so often if you're a comic company if you're a publisher doing this it's mm-hmm. it's infuriating so you're not wrong um, I thought that stuff came off pretty good in this issue, but you are definitely not wrong that that that's territory that we've worn before with this character and other characters. It's it's seemingly it will never change because after this cyborg series ends, we're not going to get another one for another three, four, five years or something. Yeah, and we'll we'll do it all over again. Yeah, Zach, what do you think of this? 
Yeah, I mean, pretty much the same as you guys. It's just kind of a... Cyborg is not a character that I ever need to read a, a solo ongoing about, um, just personally. But I, I know that, like, there are people for who, like, this is a really cool and interesting thing and or who really like the character and and want this so who am i to begrudge them that and um th- this is a like perfectly cromulent version of that i think talking going back to like our conversation about sort of you know silos in the dcu it is kind of interesting how this exists in in like the titans nightwing um uh adjacent stuff so like you know if you're into that stuff and and want more of it you can kind of get it here you get to see wally west wearing a suit over his flash suit which is kind of hilarious oh i, I meant funeral. to mention that, that 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 is always good when that happens in comics yeah always good um so so there yeah there's that i i can't knock this this is this is a perfectly average cape comic so with you know maybe slightly below average art yeah slightly below average please um <laughs> I'm being the, one, generous. the one bit i really liked that, that made me kind of chuckle i had a sensible chuckle about it was uh in the, when when vic comes back to town and runs into those villains um get uh, gizmo and mammoth i think it was um yeah i, I prefer it, I, I pronounce it jizz by the way like 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 jiff the soft <laughs> soft g okay I don't think it is, but okay. No, it, um, it is. Just go with it. One of the guys who's like recording the fight says, oh, shit, it's Robot Man. Yeah. And I think that that's th- that kind of made me chuckle because of Cyborg's role in the Doom Patrol TV show. Um, It was just a, I don't know. I that I got that got a laugh out of me. So I like that. All right. Let's move on to the Dawn of DC Primer number one. This is a free issue that is coming out. I We think today, when you're hearing this, it was not a free comic book day thing, but it kind of feels like one. It's a short story written by Joshua Williamson and illustrated by Leandro Fernandez. About 12 pages, and it's an Amanda Waller story, and you all know how we feel about Amanda Waller. There's only two things I think that are worth talking about here. And I'm going to talk about them both. And if you guys have anything more to say, go for it. Um, number one, there is something called the Helmet of Hate, which is a black Darth Doctor uh, Doctor Fate helmet. I always said Darth Vader because it reminds me of when it was there was BB Hate in uh in the Last Jedi, which is just like a black version of BB Eight. That's essentially this uh, Helmet of Hate. And Amanda Waller's deal to the people who like the I guess it's the Secret Society supervillains or whatever we're calling. The like B level superhero supervillains that were teamed up with Deathstroke in Dark Crisis that they get it's basically the same Suicide Squad deal. You get a full part and a clean record, but you have to kill a superhero to uh to get it. Which is just like that's not a particularly interesting idea. It's just darker than I expected this book to go. Um of note on that too, on the last page of this uh where you're seeing the characters that are all going to be targeted. It's obviously all the folks who have Dawn of DC stuff coming out. But there's a couple of really funny additions there. Like you see uh, Jace Fox, the next Batman smiling, which has never happened in any <laughs> uh, Jace Fox story yet. You also have the return of Yara floor, which makes me believe that maybe that wonder woman series from Tom King is going to have Yara floor as part of it. And also it has both Aquaman and Aqualad who we have not seen in a while. Um, that's all. That's all I got to say. Do you guys have to say anything else? Um, no, no, I don't. I don't really think so. Other than, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna repeat what I what I DM'd you guys earlier today, which is why did they go all in on Peacemaker? <laughs> yep. I also like that 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 other character that's with them that gets murked is Peace Wrecker. Oh God. And I still don't think we know Lady Peacemaker's name. Is she just Lady Peacemaker? I I don't know. I don't know. There's there's no way to know. And I wouldn't want to know if there was one. <laughs> uh yeah, we, did that, it. That... we talked about more books than we have in a while. 
Yeah, uh, this yeah, is also let's a never much longer show. <laughs> for a while. We have a couple other shows this this month coming up that are going to be a little bit longer because there's a lot of Donna DC stuff coming out, but uh, don't get used to this, folks. Uh, but Vince, what should folks look forward to next week in their comic shops? Next week being the 23rd? The 23rd, yes. All right. Uh, Action Comics 1055, City Boy number one, uh, DC Ruby number four, Detective Comics 1072, Green Arrow number two, Harley Quinn 30, Nightwing 104, uh, Static Shadows of Dakota number four, The Sandman Universe Dead Boy Detectives number six, Tim Drake Robin number nine, and Unstoppable Doom Patrol three. We should say for next week, we were talking about both City Boy number one and The Vigil, both from the... Um... I always forget the name of what the actual initiative is. The same one that has Spirit World as part of it. We yeah. are legends, right? Um, no way of knowing. Okay. Yeah. We're doing that for next week. So catch up on those books if you want to hear us talk about Will, it. Will Smith. <laughs> what? We are legends. You remember are, that movie? We, you remember that I am, one? I, I am legend. Yeah. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I didn't even remember. Yeah. That We are legend is the sequel. Sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Wild, Wild West. Jim West. West. Yeah. You remember when that Rough movie uh, teased a Batman Superman movie years ahead of time? <laughs> sure. All right. I am well, right about that. Okay, I'm sure. South Beach, bringing the heat. Yeah. <laughs> something, Here something. Men Artemis. in Black. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they won't. Galaxy Defenders. Yeah. Yeah. Party in the city when the heat is on. Um, every, every different nation, Spanish, Haitian, Indian, Jamaican, black, black white, Cuban, white, Asian. Yeah. All right. I'm <laughs> for two days of playing. Every time I come, I always wind up staying. Uh, anyway, we uh, we got to get off this trip. Uh, you can find two there of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. I'm at the Wolk of Z. Uh, Vince is currently trying to think of another Will Smith hit to rap uh, someplace oh, in the world man. right now. Well, parents just don't understand. I knew you were going to go there. That's the laziest <laughs> one, but I would have gone there too. Well, I know. I yeah. Uh, you, you really should have gone with um, uh, just just the three of us. Just, there we go. <laughs> I only know the Doctor Evil version of that, which, <laughs> which Zach, Zach doesn't is, know. Which Zach has never heard. Yeah, no. Daddy loves you. Daddy loves Daddy you. Loves you. Uh, <laughs> anytime there's ever an Austin Powers uh, clue on Cinnanurdle, I get it every time. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. At well, least you're folks, aware of it enough. Yeah. You know, we should release Zach from his duties for the show, but the, he has to watch the three Austin Powers movies with us. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fine. I'll just keep doing the show. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, there are some bits we always have to keep, and this is one true. of them. That's true. I guess. Well, Brian uh, will never watch I Think You Should Leave season two. No, I'm watching it as soon as season three comes out. We've established this. <laughs> this is canon now. Um, the well, again, that's the bit. That's the bit. Yeah. Anyway, if you, so, if you need uh, to find me, I'm hunting down the guy from the 1975, and of course we won't are, talk yeah. about why. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, thanks for getting Jiggy with us, folks. Talk to you later. Bye. Brian, do you care if I say? At this point, who gives a shit? Life is pain. Go ahead.